So I shall read one verse of scripture out of the book of Luke, chapter 15, verse 11. Again, I say thank you for the high privilege. I'm going to move very quickly here this evening into the word. Luke 15 and 11, I believe they will have it on the PowerPoint. If not, I know I can quote this. <laughs> Luke 15 and 11. It should be coming here momentarily. The mail slow tonight. You have it? If you don't, I have the old trusty Bible here. All right? We ain't got time for that. All right? I was ready to move on. And he said, a certain man had two sons. That's my text tonight. A certain man had two sons. I want to preach to you on the celebration of a certain man. The celebration of a certain man. Clap your hands if you have an idea who that man is. And somebody shout hallelujah. Turn around somebody say, I'm so glad you're here tonight. And you may be seated. Preach with me now and we'll get through here in a hurry. In an hour when leadership has become vacillating, wishy-washy, crowd-pleasing pacifiers, you better be thankful that God has blessed this church with a ministry of longevity and consistency, and the key word is certainty. A ministry of certainty. A certain man had two sons. We've never been in a more confused world than we are right now. I'm gonna be playing just a moment, I'll move on when folks don't even know what bathroom to go to. That's a confused world when you don't know which bathroom to go to. Well, you don't know whether you're male or female, what you are. That's how confused our world is. Thank God that when Harold Blaylock came to this city, and ever since he's been here, he's had no confusion about who he is, what he has, where he's going, who he serves, what he believes, and why he is here. I'm not going to try to rewrite the Bible tonight, but I do have my own imagination. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. And in the event you don't know why that story is in there, I'm going to tell you. It's in there, like David and Goliath, like Joshua and Jericho and blind Bartimaeus. The Lord put all those stories in there so preachers could have something to preach. Because we preach the daylights out of those stories. But you know, the revelation of God is a flowing fountain that's as new and fresh as tomorrow's newspaper. I often thought about that. Why, why God, why didn't I see this five years ago? I'll tell you why. Because he said, give us this day our daily bread. <laughs> Evidently, I didn't need it five years ago. And he's going to give it to me when I need it. Clap your hands for some daily bread. <laughs> the Bible calls it the parable of the prodigal son. I like to look at it also as it could be called the era of the elder. Because the elder son is an example of a man who did right. But he did right wrong. He stayed home. But he had a wrong attitude even though he was home. Can I preach this a moment? 
it's not enough to be in the church. You need to have a good attitude about being in the church. It's not enough to be saved. You need to be saved with a good attitude. It's not enough to be holy. You need to be holy with a good attitude. It's not enough to be righteous. You need to be righteous with a good attitude. So he did right, but he did right wrong. Years ago, I was, in, uh, I was getting ready for church on a Sunday morning. It's Mother's Day, and sometimes I don't do good until I'm under pressure. And it's Mother's Day, and I was thinking, God, I like to have, give me something good for Mother's Day today. I really want a good mother. I love special day preaching. Just like tonight. I love special meetings where there's a subject, where there's a target already in place. I don't have to try to find out what I'm going to talk about. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. It's evidence given to me. I said, God, give me a message for the mothers that are going to be here today. I want a good message on Mother's Day. And it seemed like the Lord impressed me and said, walk with me through the story of the prodigal son. I said, well, wait. I'm talking about Mother's Day, not Father's Day now. He said, let's go through the story. I got through the story, and this is what I found. A certain man had two sons. How many know that biologically that's impossible? <laughs> I don't mean to question the Bible, but a certain man cannot have two sons. So the Lord said, where is the mother? There is absolutely no mention of the mother in the story of the parable of the prodigal son. So a good Mother's Day message is, Mother, where are you? Or the mystery of the missing mother. You got a heartbroken father, you got a rebellious boy, you got a resentful boy, a good mama could have put that all together. A good mama could have made all the difference. So he had a rebellious son. He had a resentful son. He had a wife, and only God knows where she was. But in the face of all the confusion, contradiction, and calamity, I want to celebrate a man who refused to sell the farm. Can't find his wife. One boy hates him. It's home. The other hates him so bad he left. Matter of fact, in Jewish antiquity history, it is said what that boy did when he came to his father and said, give me my inheritance. What that boy said was, I wish you were dead so I could have what's coming to me. That's how awful that boy was. So here's a man who has a wife he can't find. One son hates him and wants his inheritance. The other stays home with a deep, bitter sense of resentment. But in the face of all of that, here's a father who stayed home, maintained the fences, planted the crops, painted all around, kept the livestock fed, took care of cutting the firewood because he said, someday my boy is gonna wanna come home. And when he wants to come home, there's gotta be a home for him to come home to. And the beautiful part about it is, when he comes home, he's got to be able to identify it as the home he left. Thank God when the prodigals come back to this church, they find us preaching one God. They find us preaching Jesus' name, baptism. They find us preaching holiness. They find us celebrating the goodness and the grace of Almighty God. Somebody shout yes. I thank God tonight for a man who was certain about his ministry, certain about his message, certain about his mission. Recently, I got a little insight to a verse that we all have quoted, Ephesians 2.20. Let's look at that just a moment. Ephesians 2 and 20. We're built upon the foundation. Everybody say the foundation. 
This is what this church is built upon. This is the foundation of this church. We're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. This is what I noted about that that I never had given much attention to. This, everybody say, this is the foundation. The foundation of this church is apostles. Would you say men? Prophets, would you say men? Jesus Christ, God and man. Three-fourths of what the church was built on involved men. So years ago, we used to be rebuked for having preacher religion. Stay with me now. I'm going to tell you, you ain't going to have no religion if you don't have a preacher. You just need to thank God, praise God, that you got a certain preacher. You got one that's called of God. You got one that's anointed of God. You got one that's appointed of God. You got one that's a Christian. You got one that's morally clean. For God had chosen. I want to reiterate this. God had chosen. Everybody say, God chose this. God had chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I recently did a Bible study in Raleigh on doctrine is a heaven or hell issue. And I found a new point on that study. Doctrine is a heaven or hell issue. One of the Bible doctrines that we don't talk about a lot of times is preaching. Because he said, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in so doing, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Preaching is a heaven or hell issue. Thank God for the music. Thank God for our performances. Thank God for everything that goes on. But let it be that the apostolic church never loses sight of the fact that preaching is what made us who we are. Preaching is what made us who we are. You believe in one God because somebody preached it. You believe in baptism in Jesus' name because somebody preached it. You believe in holiness because somebody preached it. The thing that demarcates our churches from all the other churches is the man that stands right here. As a matter of fact, this nice lectern, Bible stand, whatever you want to call it, is called in the old terms, the old school, it was called a pull pit the reason that's a pull pit is because every time a man stands here he's trying to pull you out of the pit we come to this platform to pull people out of the pit you better thank God that when you were sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore it was the hand of an anointed man of God that reached into your life and pulled you out I want to celebrate a certain man tonight. A certain man. Because the Bible said when that prodigal started back home, while he was yet a great way off, I've often wondered how far did he go? He was a great way off. Woo! Thank God the father didn't sit on that nice swing with his wife drinking coffee and said, baby, I didn't leave the church. He did. If he wants to come back, he knows where the house is. We're going to sit here and drink coffee and wait. But the Bible said while that boy was yet a great way off, 
Here's what I'm going to have to have a little shout over, maybe one lap around the building, because if I run around, this, run around the pulpit, if I run around the church, the meal will be cold before I get back. <laughs> we have a beautiful picture of the posture of the church in the end time. We got a walking prodigal. We got a walking son headed back, and we got a running father. A running father. A walking son, but a running father. You know what that tells me? The church needs to be more excited about the prodigals coming home than the prodigals are to come home. Not everybody that's in the pig pen tonight's happy there. Not everybody that's in the slop of sin is happy there. But what they really want to know is, is there a church that will meet me running? Now, one thought about maybe why did the father run? The father ran to the returning prodigal because he knew he had to beat the elder son there. Because if the elder would have got there first, he'd have never made it back to the father's house. If he had met that rotten, stinking, self-righteous spirit and said, I've been here all the time. I'll give you another sermon thought. Who really was the waster? The one that left or the one that stayed? Because the father said to the one that stayed, he said, you didn't give me a calf. He said, well, they're all yours, boy. You never asked for one. You wasted everything God had for you. You sit right here at the house and wasted all the blessings of God. If you'd asked me for it, I'd give you miracles. I'd give you signs. I'd give you revival. I'd give you, don't sit in the Father's house and cry over the jealousy of a prodigal when God's got more for us. The prodigal could have a calf, but the elder could have the herd. Now, let's make a little correction here. Some of you elders that are here, Bible students, you, you probably got this in 1983, but it took me a while to come to it, so I'll share it. We've sung it, we've preached it, we've said it, that the prodigal said, I will arise and go to my father's house. I want to talk to you about what was the catalyst for a comeback. It's found in Luke 15 and 18. Luke 15 and 18. It ain't working? Okay. All right. No, no offense. Man, I preach a lot of sermons without that. The Bible said, the prodigal said, I will arise. Say it loud, superintendent. I'll go where? I'll go to my father. The catalyst that brought him back was not the father's house. It was the father himself. He said, I know the nature of my daddy. I know what kind of man he is. If I can just get back to my daddy, he'll forgive me. He'll have mercy on me. He'll welcome me home. I will arise and I will go to my father.
That's the catalyst for a comeback in the nature of the Father. One more point, I'll quickly move to another direction and quit. When the son came home, Luke 15, 23, the father said to a servant, go get the fatted calf. Not a calf. Don't go out to the pastor and just pick one out. He didn't give him much direction or instruction. He said, you know which one I'm talking about. Go get the fatted calf. And by the way, let me say this. When the boy comes home, let's don't kill the boy. Let's kill the calf. Oh, I got to pick up one more point too. I'm not going to be here for a while. May not ever after tonight, but I want to say this. I didn't hit it hard enough. He was a long way off. While he was yet a great way off. We don't need to sit here and wait on them to get all the standards right before we welcome them back. Everybody say he was a long way off. He had a long way to go. But the father said, I'm gonna meet you out there in the field and when you come back, I know this last part's gonna be the hardest part. So you're not going to have to do the hard part by yourself. I'm going to walk in the doors of the church with you. And I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to sit. Hey, don't treat backsliders like they got the plague. Don't treat backsliders like they got the COVID. Don't be ashamed to put your arm around them. And the Bible, you maybe said, the Bible said, while he was yet wept, the father fell on his neck. <clears throat> I'm sure when that father pulled back, he smelled like hogs. I picked this up years ago. I've always enjoyed it. You know how you can tell a true shepherd from a false shepherd? A true shepherd smells like sheep. And a true father is not ashamed to get the stink that is on his son on him if it can bring him on back to the house of the Lord. Don't act like you're so holy you can't stand the smell of cigarette smoke. Don't act like you're so holy you can't smell, stand the smell of beer or alcohol. That's what God brought us out of and we need to welcome them back. The truth of the matter is this. Thank you for your good response tonight. The truth of the matter is this. The father said, go get the fatty calf. I believe the day that boy left home, that that father selected a particular calf, put him in a stall somewhere, and every day the boy was gone, the father came with buckets of feed and said, I'm feeding you up. I'm getting you fat. After a few months or ever how long it was, I'm sure that calf got to talking. I think I ain't gonna be a walk here pretty soon. And every time the dad came out there, the calf probably thought, well, then somebody's getting married. This no, you're not for a marriage. No, you're not for a graduation party. I'm feeding you every day because one day my boy is gonna come back. And when he comes back, we're gonna have a steak supper for the family. The whole time your children are out of church, 
the whole time your companion is out of church. You need to be feeding a calf. Saying one day they're going to come back. It ain't eternal. It's not going to last forever. I wish somebody jumped your feet right now. You got a backslide in your family, and I wish you'd shout, they ain't going to hell. My boy ain't going to hell. My daughter ain't going to hell. I'm going to feed this calf every day because pretty soon we're going to have a celebration. Somebody shout yes. yes. Let me tell you a good, you may be seated. I'm quickly closing here. I want to tell you a good doctor can keep you out of the hospital. And a good lawyer can t- keep you out of jail. But a good preacher can keep you out of hell. And when you celebrate the gifts of God, everybody say the gifts of God. You celebrate the gift of the Spirit. You celebrate the gifts of the Spirit. At the top of the list, you need to put the gift of the ministry. Because probably the greatest gift God ever gave you was an anointed, appointed, called man of God who is able to walk to this pulpit unfettered, not scared of the devil himself. He's preached to you when he was sick. Preached to you when he was discouraged. Preached to you when his faith was low. But he kept coming and he kept preaching. And that's why this church is here tonight 50 years later. Let me tell you what preachers do. I ain't no different than any of them. But a number of years ago, I had a heart attack. While I was in the hospital, my wife was with me nonstop. There was one moment she needed to go home. I told her to go home. She said, I'll be back in a little while. She left. Wouldn't you know it? She guarded that door. I mean, she guarded that church. She, you know, she just didn't, she safeguarded me. And so, while she was gone, this nurse came in. And the nurse walked by and looked at my chart. And she said, Wayne Huntley. She said, oh, my Lord. She said, you're not Pastor Huntley, are you? Well, the way I am in my humor, I said, what's left of him? I said, yeah, that's me. She got her chair. She pulled it beside my bed. Oh, my God, I've been needing to talk to you. That's a true story. I'm laying there getting over a heart attack. I'm all hooked up. She starts telling me about the problems she's having with her husband. Telling me about their finance. My wife would have killed her. She would have cast that devil out. If that, my wife didn't that woman start talking to me like that. She told our church on Sunday morning, I know all of you want to go see him. There's five or six hundred of you here today. Just think if each one of you go and spend five minutes, how much time is that? Now I'm telling you, don't go over there. (laughs) If you love him, don't go over there. And then she said the unalterable, unutterable is the word, unalterable. Yeah, something like that. (laughs) She said, you're the reason he's there. (laughs) 
It's your burdens. You see, I've been healed of cancer. Not really. Stay with me. I've been healed of cancer. My wife left me for two years. My son's on drugs. You know that ain't true. You got a son. My, yeah. uh, my, I, I got cast out of my house last month. I couldn't pay the rent. Uh, my boy is in jail pushing drugs. You say, really, preach? No, not really, but when you go through it, I go through it. When your boy's drunk, it's like my boy's drunk. When you have cancer, it's like I have cancer. When something bad happens in your family, it happens to me. Because pastors love their people. And they feel the pain of everything. That's why tonight you need to clap your hands and thank God for a man that loves you and has served you for 50 years. Stand up and clap your hands, everybody. I close with this thought. You know, the Bible said that the Lord gave the, the apostles, um, he, he gave them commandments through the Holy Ghost. Now, you can interpret that like you want to. Here's my interpretation. He gave them commandments that they couldn't find chapter and verse for at that time. He gave them commandments that really they couldn't go to the Bible. Oh, there it is right there. How many of you have ever felt a commandment from the Lord that you didn't know was in the Bible or not, but you know God told you this. He spoke this to you. So in all of my privileged opportunity to travel the United Pentecostal Church, from the largest to the smallest, from the east to the west, north to the south. I tell people like this sometimes, if you can bear, bear, me, bear with me in my folly. I'm like Johnny Cash. I've been everywhere, man. I have been everywhere. There's a song, I heard it once or twice. He names all these cities he's been to. And I yeah, I've been there, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why he was there, but I was there preaching. So I've been everywhere, man. But this is what I've seen. And Brother Starks, for the longest, I was afraid to preach it. I'd preach it at home because they love me. They forgive me. They don't sit out there and try to prove me wrong. Hey, don't try to prove your pastor wrong. Try to prove him right. It aggravates the daylights out of me. A man to preach a marvelous message and say one word wrong, and that's all they remember. You need to be forgiving and merciful and kind. Don't measure man by his mouth. Measure him by his heart. And so, I noticed that our the musicians can come. I'm closing right here. I noticed that in our churches, some of them are bigger than others. Some of them have more liberty. Some of them have more victory. Some of them have more revival. And I'm a student of revival and church growth and evangelism. I want to know if there's something I'm missing, I want to get a hold of it. But this is what I've come to believe, elders. God does not bless 
churches. Stay with me now. God does not bless churches. God blesses ministries. And the church is blessed proportionately to the blessing on the man of God. The more God blesses him, the more you're blessed. That's why when he gets a new truck or a new car, you shouldn't be envious and jealous. You ought to sit out there and say, Ooh, Pastor, you deserve this, and I'm so glad God has blessed you with this. I thank God that you have this. Or that you get to go there. Or you, because you know what? As you rejoice in his blessing, that's how you will be blessed. If you, if you cut off the joy of the Lord in his blessing, you cut yourself off from a blessing. So let me quickly bring it to a conclusion. When David and Goliath, I finally got some Bible. When David and Goliath got ready to go to war, the Bible said the armies were set in array. It was like starting lineups on a football game, you know. This team was over here and this team's over here and they're ready to go get it. I don't know where he got his word of wisdom, but Goliath said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can find this in 1 Samuel 17, 8 and 9. And, and Goliath said, uh-uh. It ain't gonna be army against army. It's not the way we're gonna fight this. I'm the champion of my people. You send me your champion. This is going to be a battle of champions. And he said, whatever happens to your champion happens to you. If your champion is conquered, you're going to be conquered. If your champion is brought down, you're going to be our servants. But if you conquer me, then our people will be your servants. In other words, the bottom line is this. Whatever happens to the ministry is going to have a way of happening to the church. If the pastor's bound, the church will be bound. If the pastor's discouraged, the church will be discouraged. If the pastor is sick, the church sometimes is sick. You know why? Because this is where, it, hey, the anointing starts at the head. And it flows to the body. The only way the anointing gets to the body is it flows first of all on the head and then it comes down the garments and it goes into the church. That's the reason you need to pray, God, anoint our pastor because in the anointing, the yoke is not just broken, the yoke is destroyed. When a man is anointed, he can destroy things. If it's broken, it can be rebuilt. But when it's destroyed, it never, ever comes back. And so David and his servant, they sneak over. John, come on, sneak over in the night. And they steal a few objects that just belong to Saul. Saul's laying there. And I love what David's servant said to David. He said, read this when you have time. He said, sir, if you would just let me strike him. He's like Brother Keith Laylock. He said, if you give me one shot at him, I won't need a second one. That's what he said. He said, you give me one shot at him. And it won't take a second, I promise you. Give me, David said, no, no, we're not doing that. We're not going to touch the Lord's anointing. So they go back up on the hill and morning comes. David says, Abner! Abner! 
You're the guard of the man of God. You're his security system. Who does this belong to? Whose is this? Oh my Lord. Somebody has been right over the king. An enemy has been that close to him. They could have easily killed him and nobody knew it. And David said, Abner, you're supposed to be a mighty man of value. Do you know what he said? You're worthy of death. You know why? Because you did not protect the Lord's anointed. You ought to be killed. Because you didn't do your job. You didn't protect the Lord's anointed. I'm telling this church, it's your responsibility to protect the anointed. It is your responsibility to protect the Lord's anointed. I'll never forget, there was a church in Texas where I used to preach a lot of revivals. And the pastor told me this story. Every time I'd go, I can't think of a little gentleman's name now, a little country cowboy in Texas. And I'd say, have Brother whatever Smith to testify. He knew why I wanted him to testify because he said the same thing every time. So just for my pleasure, he'd have him testify. Hey, brother, we want you to testify. So the little brother be sitting back here, and he was like, he looked like Popeye. If you've ever seen Popeye, bow-legged as he could be, he'd get up and walk down that aisle, 70-some-odd years old. And he would look to the pastor and say, Thank you, Pastor. Then he would turn around to the audience and he said, A number of years ago, a man came through those doors and said he was going to whip my good pastor. He said, I stepped out in that aisle and I said, Sir, before you get to my good pastor, you're going to have to come through me. I'm not advocating violence. But I am saying you ought to tell some people to shut up. This is the anointed. You're not going to talk about the anointed. This is the anointed. I want three or four good strong men. These two right here. Is this your church? These two right here. Okay, good. You got any more deacons around here? Is it just two deacons? Any more deacons? Any more deacon dances? Here comes another one. All right, here's what I want you to do. You represent the church. All the time y'all represent the church, so join hands there. You too. Here comes a third one here. Brother, you get in here behind them. You join hands. Abner, if you don't protect the Lord's anointed, you're worthy of death. If you don't protect the Lord's anointed, because his anointing is what breaks your yoke. His anointing is what heals your body. His anointing is what saves your soul. His anointing is what gets the devil off your back. So anytime an ugly spirit comes up, well, I don't like what he did. Well, I don't like what he said. And I just don't think he should have done that. And I can't comprehend all this. And I just, you just need to be around them so those spirits cannot get to the man of God. So in conclusion, I'd like for as many as can of this church to step forward. Brother Keith, brother, you come join to you and your wife with your mom and dad. Come stand right here. Okay, she don't have to. She's involved. 
Just bring your mother on up here. I'll tell you what, let's do better than that. Bring the whole Blaylock family. I want to say this too. While I'm, while I'm sweeping this floor, let's, let's get it swept. If their kids ever mess up, if they ever do anything wrong, I want you to forgive the pastor's kids like he forgave yours. I want you to have mercy on his family like he has had mercy on your family. How many of this audience will say, these people have had mercy on my family? Lift your hand. These people have had mercy on my family. They've had mercy on my family. And so, if they were to slip a little bit, get a little off course, you know, Paul said, I fought the fight, kept the faith. But he said, I finished the course. Even the great apostle Paul could not say he kept the course. But he did say, I finished. So at points, people are going to deviate just a little bit. But it's your responsibility to build a wall around them that the adversaries can't get through. Church, step up here right now. Place your hands toward these wonderful people of God. And I want you to pray for them in this 50th anniversary celebration. I want you to lift your hands and thank God that God sent them here. Thank God for every Bible study. Thank God for every sermon. Thank God for every prayer meeting. Thank God for every hospital call. Thank God for every marriage. Thank God for every funeral. Thank God for every encouraging word. Lift your hands and tell the Lord you want to protect the anointing. You want to protect the anointing. I can't hear you, church. Lift your voice and let's pray right now. I pray the anointing of the Holy Ghost to be upon this family. God protect my pastor. God protect my pastor's family. God protect his children. God touch his body, touch his mind, touch his soul, touch his spirit. Lord, encourage my pastor. With your hands lifted right now, the district superintendent is going to pray over this wonderful family tonight. Lord, I thank you for this church. And we recognize that this church is here because you called a man. And that man accepted the call and has been faithful. 50 years of faithfulness. 50 years of not knowing how to quit when other people would have done, would have done something else. But he's been faithful. He stayed here, Lord. And now, my God, I thank you for the second generation of leadership that you have placed in this place. 